Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. My talk is titled Fatima, an exercise, a spiritual exercise in loyalty and in faithfulness. And I begin from a reading from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It was this past Saturday, March 19th, so about eight weeks ago, less a day. I, along with 75 other pilgrims, high school students, chaperones, the whole group of us departed North County for LAX Airport. And we were embarking on a seven-day trip to Fatima. And months of planning, arranging bookings, gathering travel documentation, all these preparations gathered and came together for this one moment. We boarded our two highway coaches and began the drive north, officially embarking on this adventure. For many of our young people, this was the first time they had had a passport or needed one. For some even, this was the first time on a jet aircraft. And the plan was head up to LAX, get to Bradley International, disembark, gather luggage, regroup with our chaperones, and then head in for hopefully a simple and straightforward check-in process for our flights to Lisbon. As the first of our group, a chaperone stepped forward to, in fact, check in. His documents were studied. The agent refused to accept that traveler's COVID tests due to a technicality with the test itself and the timing the test was taken. And one by one, the airline with uh, staunch determination refused the COVID results en masse of all 75 of us. None of us were allowed to check in. And this setback and the events which ensued I believe can only be ascribed to an incredible battle that took place in LAX airport that day in the spiritual realm. The pilgrimage is known as a journey often arduous for a spiritual purpose. We had barely begun and yet this journey was living up to its very name. As a pilgrimage group, we regrouped in a different part of the terminal and due to the fact that vaccinated travels who had proof of that vaccination could in fact travel, we began to separate ourselves. Those who had proof of vaccination, those who did not, those who did not, we were going to go and get COVID retested at the airport. With close to 80 travelers in our group, less than two hours until the plane pulled away from the gate, we were running out of time. Today is the feast of Our Lady of Fatima. And it's a day which marks one day in the church calendar out of three in which Our Lady is honored for a title uh, linked to a place where she appeared in time and history somewhere in the world. The apparitions in Fatima occurred in the following way. Spring of 1917, the world was three years into the First World War. Millions would perish. Portugal itself was going through a really difficult chapter. Seven years prior, 1910, the king had been deposed. 
the new Portuguese Republic emerged. Government institutions were staunchly anti-Catholic because next to the king, the church was the number one threat to their authority. And so a severe persecution broke out in Portugal of the Catholic faith. Churches were seized, monasteries were closed, religious communities were disbanded or expelled. Seminaries became tightly regulated. As in other periods in history when the church was persecuted, religious devotion in Portugal either died or went underground. As brave souls, especially in families, preserved the practice and the teachings of the faith in secret. So it was against this quite turbulent backdrop in history, the Blessed Mother appeared in May 13th, on May 13th, 1917, 125 years ago, today, to three shepherd children in a small, hilly, rural area in the Portuguese countryside known as the Cova de Iria, about 60 miles north of Lisbon. The children were Lucia Santos, 12, and her two cousins, Francisco and Jacinta, Marto, younger at 10 and 7, respectively. Dr. Robert Fastigi, he's a professor at the major seminary in Detroit of, of Sacred Heart, he describes this first apparition in the following way. The children were tending their sheep near the Cova da Iria in Fatima, a few miles from their home. A beautiful young woman dressed in white appeared to them over the Holm Oak, and the lady said she was from heaven and wanted the children to return to the same place at the same hour on the 13th of each month for six months. She asked the children to pray the rosary every day. And deeply impacted by what this could be, the children told their parents later that evening of the apparition. Word spread in their little village, and they were quickly scolded and scorned by those who thought they were inventing this story. Lucia, Maria, sorry, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta entered their own time of persecution. Even as they continued to care for their sheep and pray as the lady instructed them, the next month in June, our Blessed Mother appeared again. Our Lady again asked the children to pray the rosary every day. She asked Lucia to learn to read and write. She revealed that Jacinta and Francisco would die soon, but Lucia would live longer. She then revealed that God wished to establish in the world devotion to her immaculate heart, and her heart would be a refuge and a way to lead people to God. What emerges from these early days of the apparitions is a deep, childlike faith, a piety in which the children began to take on with greater gift of self-acts of prayer, sacrifice, penance, to do penance for souls. The Catechism defines penance in the following way, and its fruit. This is the Catechism. Interior repentance is a radical reorientation of our life, a return, a conversion to God with all our heart, an end of sin, a turning away from evil, with repugnance towards the evil actions we have committed. At the same time, it entails the desire and resolution to change one's life, with hope in God's mercy and trust in the help of His grace. Later, the Catechism continues. Penance requires the sinner to endure all things willingly, to be contrite of heart, to confess with the lips, to practice complete humility and fruitful satisfaction. We'll follow and focus on that phrase, to endure all things willingly, as we follow the children here. 
So the children absolutely took on and therefore modeled these practices and pieties. And they endured all things willingly in a posture of self-gift to the mercy of God. They truly modeled what Jesus taught. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And maybe that's a, a, a clue or a tell in terms of the power and the authenticity and the authority of Fatima. It's just this fruitfulness. Even in the early days of the apparitions, this, this call, this turn back to God began to ripple out from the place uh, where the children lived. The following month, in the apparition of July 13th, our Blessed Mother asked for prayers, penances, acts of reparation to her Immaculate Heart for the salvation of souls. And it was in this apparition, the third, that the Holy Mother confided three secrets to the children. And these secrets are held in secret for decades in the Vatican, but fully made public during the pontificate of John Paul II. The first of these secrets involved a vision of hell. The second was the prophecy of the coming of a second and more terrible war, which would be the Second World War. The third was that an attempt would be made on the life of the Pope. This is the words that were recorded by Lucia. To prevent this, this is again what she heard from our Blessed Mother. To prevent this, I shall come to the world and ask that Russia be consecrated to my Immaculate Heart, and I shall ask that on the first Saturday of every month, communions of reparation be made in atonement for the sins of the world. If my wishes are fulfilled, Russia will be converted. There will be peace. If not, then Russia will spread her errors throughout the world, bringing new wars and persecution of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Certain nations will be annihilated. But in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me. She will be converted. The world will enjoy a period of peace. In Portugal, the faith will always be preserved. And as the vision of our Blessed Mother concluded, she taught this prayer to the children, which should be familiar to us. When you pray the rosary, say after each mystery, O oh my Jesus, forgive us. Save us from the fire of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are in most need. Recall these apparitions took place at a time when the church was under persecution. Word of the apparitions began to spread. How could it not? Several miracles were reported. Crowds began to gather with the children in the kova. The civil authorities tried to suppress the growing popular interest in these apparitions so that on the 13th of August, apparition number four, the civil authorities arrested the children under false pretense. The mayor actually said, I'll drive you to the Cova, jump on my car. Well, he took them to prison instead. They were threatened with their lives. They were separated. They were verbally abused. They endured many hardships for refusing to deny the apparitions. By this, the fourth month of the apparitions, the young, once, shall we say, under-catechized children, had been changed. In holy obedience, their lives took on a holy character, but still more a conviction. They prayed, they offered acts of charity, mortification, self-sacrifice. They were committed to the conversion of souls. This is Professor Fastigi again. <clears throat> 
The children resisted efforts to have them deny the apparitions. They were put in prison and then released two days later on August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption. The lady then appeared to the children a few days later on August 19th near Valinos, near their home in Algestrel. The lady asked the children to continue to come to the Cova da Iria on the 13th of each month and to pray the rosary every day. She told them she would perform a miracle in the last month in October. Fast forward to the next month, September. The authorities failed yet again in their attempts to quash interest and attention on the Cova de Iria. On September 13th, the apparition attracted between 20,000 and 30,000 people. It's in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere, really. Lucia, again, the oldest of the visionaries, recorded her question and the response of her Blessed Mother. What do you want of me? Continue to pray the rosary, my children. Say it every day that the war may end. In October, our Lord will come. God is pleased with your sacrifices. The September apparition concluded with our Blessed Mother promising that St. Joseph would appear, and with the child Jesus, he would bless the world. And word began to spread still further across Portugal's believers, cynical, cynical skeptics, those who simply didn't know what to make all of this, of all of this, began to make plans to travel to Fatima to see the children and this miracle that was promised in October for themselves. So what of our pilgrimage group? We last left them. We were in the process of, again, dividing those who had proof of vaccination and those who did not and getting those second folks, uh, as, as many as possible, through retesting. Three critical events unfolded in those two precious hours. First, the priest chaplain traveling with us gathered the group together and prayed and invoked the intercession of St. Joseph. It was, after all, his feast day. And under his patronage, prayed that God's will would be done and we would find a way where there seemed to be no way. St. Joseph would definitely have a role to play as father to his pilgrimage over the ensuing seven days. And then when the moment came with those who were either vaccine carded or, or had their COVID test completed, they just simply had to go. We had to get them checked in and on their way. They raced back to the check-in desk. Um, they did a quick inventory. The airline attendant basically en masse got all 44 of those folks checked in as a group, just through the system, spat out as fast as possible the airline tickets. The kids dashed off to security, through security, dashed through the terminal. Turns out the gate was at the far end of the terminal. It was about a mile of running. And that, we'll call them Fatima 1.0. That, that first 44 folks, they barely, barely made the plane. And God bless the guardian angels um, that preserved and protected that group as they were scrambling and racing through the airport. My wife, who used to work for the airlines, had the brilliant thought. She went to the gate just as they're about to close the, the door on the plane, just to make sure they had everybody, because how do you account 44 souls on a plane of over 300? She went to the gate and said, did everybody who got ticketed with this group get on board? Because they scan you on boarding, right? The airline attendant's like, yes, you have everybody. And we were like, safe. Tremendous. My 16-year-old son, Silas, was among this Fatima 1.0 group later shared the following of the heavy spiritual opposition and oppression that was felt. It was just, just coming down on us. 
He said, you could, air quotes, see the dark cloud swirling from the stress of the moment of having to divide our numbers between those who could travel, those who could not. The pain of being separated from friends, classmates, family members, as again, some could travel and some could not. To the stunned faces and dismayed hearts where, you know, those people who were just pulled away from, from their loved ones, from their friends, and they were able to make the plane. Then you layer on that the simple stress of air travel. You make through all of those things, all the transition of security and making to the gate, making on board, finding your seat, and then you sit down, all of a sudden, you're on board. And you're just kind of left with this stunned disbelief, what just happened? The plane pulled away. I managed to talk to Mary as she was literally taxiing. We were doing a final head count, making sure she had her folks, which she did, this, uh, this, this Fatima 1.0 group. And God bless my wife and other, show, other, other souls that night. Um, they pulled away. It was a transatlantic flight about 11 hours. Many chose to just simply hold vigil and pray. They just held vigil and prayed. They ended up arriving into Paris, made their flights to Lisbon. They got to their hostel. They got some rest. And gathering with the pilgrimage leadership the following morning, they entered the first day's itinerary, which actually was focused on St. Anthony of Lisbon, who we know him as St. Anthony of Padua today. He was born in Lisbon. Trust me, Lisbon, it's, to them, he's theirs. Um, but there's tremendous holy sites uh, there, and that first day was focused on him. He's also known as St. Anthony of the Wonder Worker uh, for the miracles that uh, not only occurred in his life but followed. We were definitely in need of his intercession as well. So let's circle back to those of us, we'll call us Fatima 2.0 back in COVID-controlled at LAX. We'd said goodbye to Fatima 1. They were on their way. Now we focused our attention on these young people who needed to get retested. And really, it was about unifying this smaller group. Now they've been fractured. Keeping them safe, using the time well so as to develop a backup plan that would hopefully get us all out on a flight or later that evening or sometime the next morning. We all cleared LAX COVID control all tested negative. We uh, re-huddled in an out-of-the-way place again in the middle of this Bradley International, kind of like Times Square. We found a quiet corner to sit down in the airport, and we started to vet the options for hotels, for food, for new flight itineraries. We just started going through the punch list. It was now about 8.30 in the evening. Not good. We'd been at the airport about four hours. And as for hotels, all were at capacity, and at this short notice, none of them could take you know, 38 souls uh, uh, um, with no notice. For food, restaurant options were extremely limited. Turns out all the food is on the other side of security. Got to get checked in first. Um, one of our chaperones creatively tried to get pizza delivered to the terminal, like literally called the pizza joint. Yeah, I need 15 pizzas. Where am I taking this? LAX Bradley International. What are you crazy? Um, simply put, I mean, the pizza guy said, I've, I've no way of finding you. I, I can't get the pizzas to you. So they, they couldn't take the order. So uh, we kind of broke out our little go bags of snacks and beef jerky and Skittles and things that we'd had in our carry-ons. And that became dinner. Um, and just, I just want to say, God bless the high schoolers. You know, This trip was for them as chaperones were there to protect them, but also to provide a safe environment for them to encounter something of the church and something of Jesus Christ. And, you know, 
those of Fatima 1.0, the young people of Fatima 2.0, none of them should have had to go through what they went through. But they were amazing. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm moved by not only their piety, but their, their, their desire, their, their, their kind of heart for the adventure of this. With kind of chaperones, you know, staying with the group, I went back to uh, the airline um, and sought out the most senior person at the desk to use every single piece of 20 years of business travel and my little bit of horsepower there to see if we could find a way to, to get a plan together. And this senior gate agent who'd worked for the airline over 20, 25 years, she knew every trick in the book. She's like, there's just no way. I can get you to the hub city in Europe. I can't get you onto Lisbon. And the reason being, 10 days prior, the Pope announced, I'm going to consecrate Russia, Ukraine, and all the world on the 25th, five, six days later. Every single connection within Europe from those hub cities to Lisbon was just sold out. Plus, passenger inventory was down because the COVID's, the, the cut, flight's been cut for COVID, you know. So absolutely, we could get to Europe, but we could not get to Lisbon. There just wasn't a way. So at about 10 p.m., exhausting accommodation, food, travel options, this Fatima 2.0 group made the painful decision to call a bus from San Diego. Took two hours to drive north. About 12.30 in the morning, we got reloaded, reboarded, did another head count, made sure we had everybody. And then simply quite exhausted, we started the long, lonely journey home, got back to the school at 2.30, got kids back to their relatives or family or friends or people to stay with. And then similar to our fellow travelers on the overnight flight somewhere over the Atlantic, we waited and we prayed. So why embed these reflections on Fatima with this journey story, especially a journey story where it feels like we haven't even gotten off the ground? I borrow from the Gospel of Luke, and I also compare this to something found in the Gospel of St. John. In the 8th chapter of Luke's Gospel, Jesus teaches his disciples of the kingdom of God using the parable of the sower and the seed, one of my favorites. The sower scatters seeds. Some falls on the path, some on rocky ground, some among thorns, some among good soil. Jesus explains the parable in the following way. The seed is the word of God. And those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Fatima's call to prayer to conversion, to acts of penance and reparation, to receiving the Eucharist, going to confession, praying the rosary daily, it serves, if you will, as a school of prayer in which those places of shallow faith where the gospel can be stolen away or choked out we become more deeply rooted in God and His divine life. Fatima's teaching authority and power flows from these core themes of prayer, of conversion, of penance, of sacrifice, of seeking and being sought by, being sought by the mercy of God.
So then let's fast forward to John's Gospel. The second chapter, we hear the last words recorded of our Blessed Mother. It's the wedding feast at Cana. They run out of wine. She goes to Jesus and Jesus says, what has this to do with me? She then turns to the servant. She turns to us and says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Fatima has that resonance, that place, where by honoring her, she doesn't take it to herself. She configures us to her son and to, through her son to the cross. I touched on the consecration that was take, to take place that week. <clears throat> this was, in fact, a historic week of travel, this week of March 19th. The Pope, Pope Francis, had announced his intention to consecrate Russia, Ukraine, and all the world. In this July 13, 1917 apparition, our Blessed Mother urged the world to pray for the conversion of Russia. And if not, this curious phrase, Russia would spread her errors around the world her errors around the world. She asked that Russia be consecrated to her immaculate heart that the world might have peace. I learned when I was in Fatima, the errors of Russia can be found in three places. One's the obvious one, and that is of communism. Communism as a uh, form of government, a form of totalitarian rule, first rose to life in 1917 itself in October, so four or five months after the July apparition in Russia. It then spread around the world as the system of government took hold, and it's, just, it's believed in the 20th century alone, due to communist regimes rising to power, 100 million people were exterminated who opposed their rule and authority through suppressions, concentration camps, genocides, or famines as they centralized the economies and crop collapse took place. Wall Street Journal, not a paragraph of, of historical commentary, put it this way. The Bolshevik plague, the plague that began in Russia was the greatest catastrophe of human history. That's the first of the errors of Russia. The second is worse still. The Soviet Union was the first country to legalize abortion in 1920. Advancing the culture of death not just in destroying anyone who opposed communist authority outside the womb, but opposing the gift of life within the womb. And it set the stage and set the precedent for abortion to be legalized the world over. Even the one strong Catholic stronghold of Ireland, 2018, just celebrated legalized abortion with masses parading in the streets. It's estimated 60 million people, young people, children, have died due to abortion in the United States since 1973. Utterly breathtaking. The third error. We were appalled later, early this February as Russia declared war on its neighbor Ukraine. And even seasoned journalists and politicians have been horrified by the acts and atrocities perpetrated against civilian targets. Our, our theology teaches us <clears throat> the enemy, the evil one, is the most elevated creature by nature. Our theology teaches that our Blessed Mother is the most elevated creature by grace. She is His greatest enemy. 
And just as the church is the greatest threat to communism, is it no surprise then that the Soviet Union would set its sights on fulfilling that secret of Fatima and, and seeking to kill the Pope himself? Visiting Fatima, you bump up against this profound reality. We, we serve and, and honor and seek after a self-revealing God who intervenes in human history. Salvation history is not some sort of reinterpretation of events long past. It is God intervening in history for the sake of souls. And this is from the Catechism. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. And for this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is one of the great legacy documents of the pontificate of John Paul II. As a young man, he grew up in Nazi-occupied Poland and then later Soviet-occupied Poland, became a priest, became a bishop, became an archbishop, became a cardinal, until he was a pope on that Vatican pulpit balcony on the October 1978 rainy night, I think it was. Be not afraid, he proclaims. This man, he took for his motto, totus tuus, the Marian motto, all is yours. In his first trip back to Poland as Pope, herald of the great conflict that would define its pontificate, rolling back the Iron Curtain and seeking the collapse of the Soviet Union. On May 13th, Easter Lady Fatima, 1981, 513-81, at 5.13 in the evening, he's being driven through St. Peter's Square. And the assassin, ultimately, it was learned, hired by the Russians, hired by the Soviets, shot the Pope. He squeezed the trigger four times. Two of his shots hit the Pope, who immediately slunk down into the arms of his Polish aide, Father Stanislaus Zvizic. Thus, uh, the numbers on the clock, 5.13.81, 5.13 p.m., were in perfect harmony with the numbers on the calendar, Our Lady of Fatima's feast day. Mary, my mother, Mary, my mother, repeated John Paul II, the totus tuus pope who had lost his earthly mother as a child. Those who studied the event marveled. The bullets fired at point-blank range by a trained assassin would pass through the pope's body in a manner which defied the laws of ballistics. They missed the abdominal artery. If they had hit that artery, he would have bled out in the ambulance. He would not have lived. His life was miraculously spared. One year later, in honor of Our Lady of Fatima, who he always attributed saved his life, the Pope made his own pilgrimage to Portugal, to Fatima. There's a crown that's placed on the processional statue of our Blessed Mother, and it's festooned with jewels and just a beautiful, beautiful object of, of, of honor. He placed one of the bullets that passed through his body into the crown as an homage, an act of filial piety, thanking her for saving his life. The Pope demonstrates that our Blessed Mother, like our Son, will intervene in human history, not just to bring about the miracle of the wedding at Cana, which is recorded in John 2, but in this miracle. Case in point, the Battle of Lepanto took place in 1571. 
the armies and the navies of Europe, united with the Pope and under the intercession of Our Lady, prayed for and then defeated the much larger Ottoman forces, protecting Christendom from falling under Muslim rule. This is in 1571. The Church credits this miraculous military victory to Our Blessed Mother at the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, or Our Lady of Lepanto. Today we know that feast as Our Lady of the Rosary. G.K. Chesterton wrote a poem honoring our mother for the victory she won for her people intervening in history. One instant in a still light, he saw Our Lady then. Her dress was soft as western sky, and she was a queen most womanly, but she was a queen of men. Over the iron forest, he saw Our Lady stand. Her eyes were sad without an art, and seven swords were in her heart, and one was in her hand. So what of the miracle our Blessed Mother promised in July for that following October in 1917? The miracle of October 13, 1917 took place in the following way. During the night of October 12th and 13th, it had rained throughout, soaking the ground and the pilgrims who made their way to Fatima from all directions by the thousands. By foot, by car, even by car they came, entering the bowl of the Kova from the Fatima Liria Road, which today still passes in front of the large square of the Basilica. The children arrived as the lady had commanded them. She spoke with them. She asked that a chapel be built on the spot of the apparitions. There's a chapel there to this day. She granted prayers and petitions offered by the children. She reminded them that our Lord is offended by the many and repeated sins of unrepentant sinners. She then revealed her name. She said, I am the Lady of the Rosary. And as the apparition concluded, the miracle she had promised in July came to pass. As the Lady of the Rosary, Rosary rises towards the east, she turns the palms of her hands towards the dark sky. And while the rain had stopped, dark clouds continued to obscure the sun, which suddenly bursts through them and is seen to be a soft spinning disc of silver. The children cried out, look at the sun. And from this point, two distinct apparitions were seen. That of the phenomena of the sun seen by 70,000 or so spectators. This was not a mass hysteria event. This was a true change in the cosmos observed by 70,000 people. Before the astonished eyes of the crowd whose aspect was biblical, as they stood bareheaded, eagerly searching the sky, the sun trembled, made sudden incredible movements outside all cosmic laws. It danced according to the typical expression of the people. People spontaneously fell to their knees, crying out to God, imploring His mercy, repenting and confessing their sins out loud. As the miracle of the sun concluded, the 70,000 observers were stunned as the ground, including all items of clothing, including woolen clothing that will stay wet for days, all was completely dry. The second apparition was for the children alone. They saw St. Joseph holding the child Jesus, and St. Joseph blessed the world. So as for us pilgrims, our Blessed Mother had one more miracle to offer her children. So that Sunday, we're back home now. Our pilgrimage leader worked all the options, and with similar results that I had experienced the night before at the airport, there just were no flights. And then the kingdom of God began to turn in our favor. 
the TSA, the Transportation Security Apparatus of the country of Germany declared two days later, we're going to go on strike, so don't plan on traveling. This was notified to the German public. Within two or three hours, 38 seats appeared where there were no seats, exactly the number we needed on connecting flights through Frankfurt and Munich to Lisbon. We were able to snatch up those seats, get everybody rebooked, regather with our young people. Following morning, we were at Cultural Life Family Services. They got us COVID retested to the exact specification of the airline. No, no hiccups, please. Uh, we got on a second bus, headed north to LAX, smooth sailing, getting check-in. Even some of the kids with, uh, I'll call it, slightly oversized carry-ons. They were not stripped of their luggage. We were able to get everything on board with carry-ons only. Got everybody boarded in the ordinary course. And on that Monday evening, Fatima 2.0 took off. Our flight heading out to the west, out of El Segundo. Just as the sun shone over the Pacific, the sun was starting to set, you know, late in the evening. In the natural splendor of creation, it was our nearest star hovering over our nearest sea. And we get into Germany and the news reports are true. We walked through this airport, it's basically deserted. Only connecting travel was going through the airport, those who were already cleared through security. We make it to Lisbon and God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the intervention of His Son, and through the intercession of both Our Lady of Fatima and of St. Joseph, gave us safe and smooth travel all the way to Lisbon. The first group to arrive of Fatima 2.0 had left through Frankfurt. They connected into Lisbon. They got in about 5, 5.30. They were taken straight to the cathedral where they were able to join Fatima 1.0 for Mass. Jesus said, I will be lifted up and draw all people to myself. And for, the, for that holy sacrifice of the Mass, as he was himself raised in the, in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist of the altar, he had begun to gather his young people. He began to reintegrate our group. And from that point forward, the second wave of folks arrived later that evening. The following morning, which now was Wednesday, we had a few of the sites in Lisbon left to do, and then we jumped on the, the coach bus to head north, 75 minutes drive to Fatima. And the rest of the trip unfolded as we'd hoped it would. And the little small and miracle, the young people who were in Fatima 2.0, who had three, four days in Fatima, not seven, they said, we never felt cheated. Our Blessed Mother did in three days what we had set aside six or seven to accomplish. And then the moment of triumph, we were in Fatima Square for the consecration. With the Cardinal in the Shrine of the Apparitions, consecrating Ukraine, Russia, all the world, as he'd been dispatched by the Pope. And on the Jumbotron, the Pope doing the exact same thing from St. Peter's in, in Rome, at the exact same moment and hour. We emerged as feeling entrusted to be emissaries of his mercy and transformed by the holy encounter with those graces. So, how does one conclude? I'm going to pass out this book and there's some photos that I've just put binder clips in, you can just kind of have a page through and, and see for yourselves. And then I'm also going to hand out these little prayer cards. <clears throat> you can take one for each of you, and there's a couple of spares, so if you want to take one for a family or a friend, feel free to do so. So I would share the following just as we wrap up, in both as encouragement and as inspiration. Our Blessed Mother has appeared in other places in the world, and in fact we have the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. These are the two other places other than Fatima. We're in the general calendar of the church. 
our Blessed Mother is invoked under a title of a place she appeared. Fatima is distinct, though. The charism of Lourdes is healing. The charism of Guadalupe is conversion. The call of Fatima is penance. And maybe it's why this explains why, although it's popular, it's less so than Lourdes in Guadalupe, Lourdes in Mexico City. Our travels in Montmartre and the struggle, the effort, the fighting with and through certainly attested to us. And we were able to link our experience before, during, and after the pilgrimage to this call to penance, to offer up our sacrifices for souls. To go to Fatima, especially in these times, in this hour, when the errors of Russia and the culture of death are so prevalent and visible, one comes away convinced that to obey her words and to do whatever he tells us results in a fruitful and faithful response to the evil in the world. I had a chance to go to Alajastrels, the village where the children are from, to walk in their little humble homes. They're still there. They're places of, of veneration. They're places where the children drew close to God and God drew close to them. There's an approachability. And I think that's the clue. Yes, we put our Blessed Mother up on places of honor and, 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 and um, veneration. But this idea of approachability. Today you go to the Fatima Basilica, Jacinta and Francisco are buried. Their tombs are there. They are canonized as saints. I literally walk through their homes where they began their stories. And the invitation of Fatima is that, oh, that you would follow like them. Become like little children and inherit the kingdom of God. I encapsulated this talk under the title of Loyalty and Faithfulness. It's from Proverbs 3. Loyalty and faithfulness, inscribe them on your heart. Our Lady of Fatima appeared so that we might be reminded of our call to be loyal to her son. To grow in virtue by the spiritual exercise and devotions that I've shared here. If you make the journey to Fatima, you'll find there's a path that goes from Fatima, the place of the apparitions, which is now a small town, to Aljastrel, the tiny little hamlet, the little village where the children are from. And that path is dotted by these beautiful stations of the cross. They're known as the Hungarian stations of the cross. The Hungarian people did not hear the words of our mother. They did not pray. And as a result, fell under 40 years of their own communist rule. And as an act of public repentance, of public reparation, the church in Hungary had the stations built and erected so that in Fatima, on that Fatima al-Jastrel pathway, there might be both a reminder and an admonition. But it's a gift. And the gift is, when we're not loyal, God's faithfulness prevails. And He is faithful all the way to the cross. And He gives us His mother who follows His Son all the way to that same cross. That we might follow likewise. Even when we stumble, we might pick ourselves up rejoin the task, rejoin the pilgrimage of following Jesus to the cross, that we might merit the rewards and the joy of paradise, of the resurrection which lies beyond. Pray the rosary. Go to Mass. Receive the sacrament of confession. Make reparation for sins and offenses of the unbelieving and unrepentant world against which which, which sets itself in against the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. 
The, Fatima, the people of Fatima will tell you, and they themselves live this reality every day. It's just, it's, it's, it's soaked into the ground there. You possess the power to change the world one soul at a time. One prayer, one act of charity, one hidden act of sacrifice, arbored in love at a time. I just want to take a couple of moments and just pray. Holy Mother Mary, we invoke your intercession, your graces, your blessings over us on this, your feast day, and offer up to you all those gathered here, those who are not here, those who wanted to be here, our friends, our loved ones, our families. I pray for the petitions that we hold in our hearts, for the place you've called us to through your Son, our place in the kingdom, our place in the battle, our place in the story of the kingdom of God. I pray for marriages and for families. I pray for children and for businesses. I pray for needs and wants, hopes and aspirations. I pray for miracles and breakthrough that we would not be celebrated, that Jesus Christ himself would be honored. And I ask that you would teach us day by day in the school of prayer that is Fatima, through the rosary, through the mass, through acts of reparation, to do penance, not only for ourselves, but for the whole world. And so we pray, O oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those who most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word of mouth movement. Can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, may God bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.